The image for this series is Henry Oswa Tanner's Daniel in the Lion's Den, an illustration of people trying to take control and who is actually in control, God. An artist makes a living by selling their work, and as a painter, Henry Tanner often got commissions to paint certain subjects. However, despite being paid to paint a particular subject matter, Tanner was still in control of how he painted the subject. With the exception of the Annunciation, when Tanner painted a picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, he used his wife, Jessie, as the model. Unlike the Renaissance Italian painters who painted everyone to look European, Tanner's pictures containing people from Bible stories had to look like they were from the Middle East. And for landscapes with people, his aesthetic was more Asian. Thus, Tanner paintings have a recognizable, consistent style. I was in a museum with my wife and looked across one of the galleries. I was surprised to see what looked like a Henry Tanner painting. I didn't know this museum had a Tanner work, and I also didn't recognize the painting. I looked at the information card and saw the artist was actually William Edward Scott. When I looked up Edward Scott when I got home, I found out that Scott studied under Henry Tanner. Tanner didn't copy, but he was copied. As we get to Daniel, we're finally at the story of the lion's den where the miracle and saving power of God are absolutely important. But today I want to focus on the consistency of Daniel in obedience to God. Daniel's consistency brought him credibility with people, and thus God could use him, miraculously sometimes, to bring others into relationship with God. Let's read Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. The first thing I'd like us to notice about Daniel is his political integrity. Darius is said to be the king. Darius the Persian seems to be the same person as Cyrus the Mede. He's the king of a combined empire that we call the Medo-Persian Empire. So he seems to be known by different names depending on the context. Also in the story Baal and the Dragon, which is another version of this same story, the king is called Cyrus. And lastly, at the end of our chapter, chapter 6, the meaning can be taken that the reigns of Darius and Cyrus are one and the same. Cyrus had taken over Babylon and is now setting up his government appointing 120 satraps or governors over the realm. In order to prevent local corruption, the 120 satraps are accountable to three high-level administrators. Daniel is one of the three high administrators. Daniel is so good and honest at his job that Cyrus is going to promote Daniel from one of the three chief national administrators to second in command, not just of Babylon, but of the whole realm. The last time Daniel was second in command was under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And now the new 
king of Persia wants to make Daniel his second in command. This would be like Democrat Joe Biden winning the presidency and then first making the current vice president, Republican Mike Pence, secretary of state. After that, seeing that Mike Pence does such a good job as secretary of state, deciding that he'd rather have Mike Pence as his vice president instead of Kamala Harris. Mike Pence is just such a good Christian worker. I have to promote him for the good of the country. Can you imagine the uproar that would cause? The same jealousy happens in the leadership of Cyrus. The Mede and Persian leaders don't want a Babylonian Judean as second in command. So they look for any way to discredit Daniel, and they can't find anything. Daniel is completely trustworthy. Daniel's work shows no negligence nor corruption. Daniel and those he oversees don't make mistakes and don't skim off the top. The reason he is so moral is because Daniel consistently follows the covenant of his God, which includes don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, have honest measurements among the commands. These jealous leaders realize the only way to bring down Daniel is if some part of obedience to God were illegal. That's difficult to do when Daniel is living out the fruit of the Spirit in the Old Testament times. Galatians 5.22-23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. To walk with God guides my work and my politics. Too often in our country we have that in reverse. My work shouldn't override my relationship with God. Instead, I ask God how I should do my work in a way that honors God. Colossians 3.23 Whenever, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. And just as importantly, my politics... My party affiliation and preferences do not guide my walk with God. My heart and mind can desire all kinds of things, and if those desires don't align with God's covenant and I place them above my relationship with God, I'm left to either abandon God or twist God's covenant to fit my politics and preferences. Even though the call as a follower of God is to transform my politics and preferences to the desire of God. And this isn't new. It happened during the time of Paul and Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 3-5. Paul says, For a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. As a follower of Jesus, my politics may look inconsistent because I don't toe the party line, any party line. Most political parties in the United States have some things I can't support and other things I cannot. But that's not inconsistency. It's just nonpartisan. It's transcendent politics. First, Christ above culture. Second, Christ in culture. That is political integrity where consistency brings credibility. Next, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, Make King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, 
will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish an edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, As a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and has and the edict you signed. For he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. Daniel had political integrity, and he had pious consistency. Cyrus is known historically for allowing people to worship the God of their choosing. It was he who wrote the edict for the Judean uh, people to return to Israel, rebuild the temple, and resume worship. So the plan of his leaders who want to get Daniel in trouble is suspect from the start. They're probably not trying to convince Cyrus to make everyone worship him for a month, but praying to him is slightly different. It was probably presented as, Cyrus, everyone should recognize you as the one mediator between the gods and the people. As a king in the ancient world, Cyrus and most people probably thought that this was true. Daniel knows it's not true. First, he has the command to worship God alone. Second, Daniel is looking forward to the Messiah, who is the king and mediator between God and humans. We now know who this true mediator is. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Daniel will not pray to King Cyrus. Instead, he goes upstairs to his room, where the window is open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, as he had done before. This is important. Daniel doesn't say, they're trying to take away my freedom of religion, so I'm going to start praying, and I'll do it in front of everyone in defiance. No, Daniel was a praying person before the law, and he continued to be a praying person after the law. Going to his upper room to pray is a private place, even with the window open. The only reason people would notice him praying would be because he's an important government official and probably had the big house up on the hill, and because there were less important people actively looking to catch him in the act of praying. Daniel is in complete control here. He is simply consistently serving God. 
The person who is out of control here is King Cyrus. He's been manipulated by his leaders and is now powerless by the law to pardon Daniel. A king is not supposed to be displeased, but Cyrus is displeased and there's nothing he can do about it. He spends the whole day until sundown when the execution must take place. He can't let the day pass without carrying out the law. He spends all that time trying to find a workaround in the law, but there isn't one. So they take Daniel to the pit of lions. The king says, Daniel, I know you consistently serve your God. I hope your God rescues you because I can't. I don't know that he has confidence that God can rescue Daniel, but he does hope. Now, how does Cyrus know that Daniel continually serves his God and that God might be able to save him? This is where we get some information from Baal and the dragon. We Protestants don't consider this inspired scripture, but this story is historically known as part of the lion's den story. The writer of Daniel assumes his readers know the Baal and the dragon story because it's referenced at the end of chapter 6. So let me summarize it for you. King Cyrus asks Daniel, why don't you worship my god Baal? Daniel replies, because your god Baal is not alive. Baal is just an idol. I worship the living God. Cyrus responds, of course Baal is alive. We put food offerings out for him every day and Baal eats them up. So Daniel proposes a test. Put the food offering in the temple of Baal and then everyone leave the temple. Lock up the temple with the king's seal on the door overnight. And in the morning, we'll break the seal and see if the food is still there. The next morning, the food is gone. And Cyrus says, see, Baal lives. Daniel says, then what are all these footprints? See, after the king locked the temple and put a seal on the door, Daniel went around the temple spreading ash. Not knowing this, the priests of Baal came in the temple at night through a secret door, got the food, and left ash footprints everywhere. Sounds kind of like a Scooby-Doo mystery, right? Daniel and the king follow the footprints to the secret door, and they find the priests and their families all have ashy feet. Cyrus kills all the priests of Baal and their families. Now, Cyrus is not completely convinced yet that Daniel's God is the only living God. There's a cave where there's a great dragon that they worship. And Cyrus says, Daniel, you can't deny that the dragon is alive. Daniel agrees that the dragon is alive, but denies it's a God because he, Daniel, a mortal man, can kill it without even using a weapon, if the king will allow him. Cyrus says, go ahead and try Daniel makes some flammable cake bombs out of pitch, fat, and hair and feeds them to the dragon, and the dragon blows up. It's after these incidents that it says Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. So now back to Daniel chapter 6. The king spends the whole night awake, worried, not eating, not doing anything entertaining. The king is out of control, while Daniel in the lion's pit is in control because he serves the living God. One person worried about death, another person trying to cause death, and still another person calm in the face of potential death. That reminds me of how people have responded during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some people are completely fearfully paralyzed in life. Other people believe COVID-19 is all fake and overblown, and their actions put other people at risk. I think God calls us to be like Daniel. Daniel knew there were hungry lions that ate people in the pit. But he didn't stress out about it. He just kept serving the living God. If I'm in a stressful situation, I need to go to the Lord. 
If I need help with my marriage, my children, my work, my health, my country, my society, my mental health, or my fears, I go to prayer. Even Jesus did that. Even more so than Daniel, Jesus consistently also did the will of God the Father and still got stressed out the night before he was to be crucified. What did Jesus do? He prayed and was comforted. Also, just like Daniel, he had made it his practice all his life to get away by himself and pray. Everyone can go to God in our stressful situations, but the person who fares best through the trial is the person who has been praying consistently and going to God and obeying God all along. Before the hard times, during the hard times, and that person will continue to go to God when the hard times are over. Daniel had political integrity, pious consistency, and consistency brings credibility. Let's finish with Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 19. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. May my God send his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, language, and language who live on the whole earth. May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Political integrity, pious consistency, and Daniel's God was a personal reality. Cyrus is following a pattern I discovered. It begins with contradiction. This is when a person doesn't believe God or in God. Second is consternation. That's fear. That's what Cyrus felt when he thought Daniel would die, and it was his fault, and he couldn't do anything about it. The third step is confusion. That's doubt. It's belief mixed with unbelief. Confusion is the start of growth in spiritual matters. It's the point where God meets us. At first light, as soon as the punishment can be considered legally completed, Daniel, has the living God whom you continually serve kept you alive? If Cyrus didn't have some level of belief, he wouldn't have asked the question. But he's asking this question in anguish and crying. He hopes Daniel will answer. If Daniel is alive, maybe he's just barely alive and Cyrus can get him to a doctor. Daniel replies with a blessing. May the king live forever. Daniel may be saying this both as a blessing to Cyrus and a proclamation that God, the king of kings, lives forever. And he continues, 
The lions didn't hurt me because in praying, I didn't hurt you. Cyrus has Daniel pulled out of the lion's den and had his accusers put in, where they are all killed by the lions. The people who tried to do harm to the king are harmed, and those who continually serve the living God live. It's a sad thing when individuals or cultures confuse death and life. Now, I start this illustration by saying, I hope and suspect that Amy Coney Barrett will be a good Supreme Court justice. However, the process by which she came of Supreme Court justice did not have political integrity, which was our first point. But the process also exposed a moral evil in our government, just as Daniel's situation did. On the Senate floor before the confirmation vote, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said, Generations yet unborn will suffer the consequences of Amy Coney Barrett's elevation to the Supreme Court. How in the world could anyone say that about a pro-life person? Well, let's get the context. CBS News wrote this, quote, Schumer was not likely thinking of unborn babies in the womb. His next sentence began with an allusion to climate change, but in the same sentence also included a reference to abortion as he lamented what he described as reactionary state legislatures curtailing a woman's right to choose, end quote. See, we need to learn what Cyrus learned and what his leaders learned the hard way. Seeking death leads to death. Serving life leads to life. This chapter ends with a proclamation by Cyrus about Daniel's God that in part only makes sense if you know the story of Bill and the dragon. Cyrus uh, recognizes that God performs signs and wonders by rescuing Daniel from certain death. Cyrus also declares that Daniel's God is the living God that lives and rules forever. Cyrus moved from confusion to the step of confidence, and he wants everyone in his kingdom to begin making the same progression from contradiction to confidence. He's told everyone that they can believe and that they should fear God. He's encouraged everyone to take one step closer to belief. Cyrus moved closer to a real understanding of God because Daniel taught him the doctrine of God. But how did he do it? Cyrus moved closer to understanding God because he saw Daniel's personal relationship with God. Daniel served the living God continually, which affected how he treated others, and God saved him. See, it's not the message God saves people that convinces people to faith. It's the message that God continually saves me. People can argue and debate religion, but not my relationship with God. Whether political or personal or religious consistency, it all brings credibility. Let's pray this psalm of praise from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times so that everyone can hear. May we all proclaim together the greatness of the Lord, because when I sought the Lord, he answered and delivered me out of all my fears. When I was afflicted, the Lord heard me and saved me from my troubles. The Lord's mediator protects and delivers all who fear him. Even mighty lions sometimes go hungry, but those who serve the Lord continually lack nothing. The Lord owns the lives of his servants, and no one who trusts the Lord will be wrongfully punished. Because of this, I stand before God happy. Amen. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you've heard. And I'd like to leave you with this blessing.
Go in peace, even into this world of strife and turmoil, and serve the living God.